Hey church family, really excited to be starting off the new year with a brand new series. We're calling it Dress to Kill. It's about spiritual warfare. This first message was given by our senior pastor, Pastor Glenn. It was really good. Set us up for a great series. I'm really excited about it. Hey, real quick, we are trying to widen our platform and we're actually trying to get these sermons up on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, all of your places where you get podcasts. So be on the lookout for that and I hope you enjoy this message. Holy Spirit, um, thank you that you're ever present and that um, you were with me all along the studies and you have more to say than I'm prepared to in these notes and I just would ask that you let my words be clear, that they would be yours and that you would unpack what we need today to get fired up for what you're going to do and what you're going to do not just today, but throughout the, the teachings in this series. And God, I believe that it's going to change, radically change uh, a lot of lives in this, in this room and hopefully beyond as we begin to share what you're doing in our hearts. So um, Lord, we just, we just thank you for this word that's so good sometimes seems confusing, but you sent your spirit to help us out. And so, Holy Spirit, today I ask for the hearts in this room that you, uh, you allow this day to mark a, a shift in our, our lives and our perspectives, and that you would teach us how to fight your way and not our way. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's going to be a few things, if you've been with us for any length of time, and if you're new, then it won't be like different, it just will be the way we're going to go forward in this series, but uh, this series, a few different shifts in how we'll do things, not in the teaching itself, but I think in the follow-up. So Spotlight on the Word, for those of you that know what that is, it's, a, it's an email that goes out on usually Tuesday, and it's also been a part of our app. We're trying to figure out how to move it to the new app. But it's really, it's, it's a reading um, a summary of what the message is. Hopefully, uh, we're incorporated and encapsulated in on Sunday. So we're trying to put forth the scriptures that will allow you, in case you missed a note or you want to go back and read more in depth, as we try and get that out to you guys. So all the scriptures that we're sending out for the spotlight are supposed to be in line and in context with what we're talking about on Sundays. Um, and so the only difference in that is what you've been getting thus far is, uh, you know, John chapter 4, um, Acts chapter 10. Um, these are going to be, there's so much scripture packed into this, this topic of uh, um, spiritual warfare and the armor of God that you may actually get just a single or a couple of verses. So it might say Acts 10, 1 through 3. Uh, so there might be a lot more on the list, but you look at it closely, it's not going to be just a lot more. It's going to be maybe more refined for you guys. There still may be a whole chapter in there or not. So just, you know, kind of use it as a reference and a study guide as we're going through and you're trying to like, you know, reprocess about what God does in your heart now because he's never done when we leave here. How many know that? That's a good thing. At least me and Don know that's good. So uh, that's one of the few things that's different. Uh, the other thing is, is... Um, that this study is going to have a lot of Greek in it. So by the time the study's over, you'll all be like Greek scholars. Not really. I'm not a Greek scholar. I find, I'm, I'm excited when I get into the Greek because how many people know that most of the New Testament was written in the Greek and that the Greek is a contextual language, not a linear word for word. And so a lot of the versions we read, they are contextual like, um, you know, um, 
uh, translations, but the Greek usually illuminates some bigger depth or some clarity. And so I found this resource for this topic especially. And so I'm going to like just include you guys in on that. You don't have to memorize the Greek words because I, I probably won't even be able to pronounce them all, but we'll get through them. And just let the Holy Spirit really just illuminate the depth of the great news that we have that's found in this word. My initial thoughts on the Dress to Kill series. So Dress to Kill is not about killing people. It's about killing the enemy and the works of the enemy and the things that he's established not only on the earth, but in our own lives and our mindsets. And so it's about spiritual warfare. And I know I said for a long time, we're going to study the armor of God. And we are going to study the armor of God. But the armor of God is not as effective unless you understand God's plan for doing warfare in the spiritual realm. So we could talk about the armor all day, and it may be a little deeper than the kids' stories where you all got up in the morning and, you know, you put on the stuff every morning like your Sunday school teacher taught you. And that's not a bad idea as an adult, by the way. But we're going we're gonna to bring the backbone and the substance and the word, and I think the, the Holy Spirit's going to connect it to you and I in the areas that we have either not been taught or we've overlooked. And so we're just going to look at that, and I just encourage you and challenge you is regardless of what you think you know about about spiritual warfare is give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to teach you something that will further not just where you are with the Lord, but in your ability and your effectiveness to be connected to the kingdom and the fruit of it. Will you do that? How many people have ever sat under any length of teaching on spiritual warfare? Okay, so not that many, right? And, and even for those few, I think you're going to discover some new things, even in this. Not because I'm brilliant, but because God is. So we're good to go. Um, why do we need to learn how to fight? Okay, well, that's the easy answer, right? And that's the good answer, Andy. I really agree with that. But I ask myself questions that I find myself, I used to ask you know, early on when I began to walk, because some of my framework of mine was, well, why do I need to learn how to fight? Doesn't God fight on my behalf? So the answer is yes, right? God does fight on your behalf, but he's also created you and I to be in his image and he's also created you and I to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. He's also created you and I to live in this world that has been fallen ever since the fall of Adam. And so there are problems that happen all over the place. And the problems that we see on the news definitely are probably seated with, you know, principalities and powers underlying, but yet we're fighting them on different levels. And we need to let the Holy Spirit teach us how to fight at his level. And that means for all lives, the lost, for the, the downtrodden, for the, for the captives, the prisoners, the, the people in bondage, because all of those things make up the dilemmas that we actually see in the world today. Now, I'd like to tell you that the, God's plan will cover all the earth, and in a, if we get this right in about a year, then the world would just become paradise, it's not because the Bible has already told us such, but it does make huge differences in the people we know, and it can bring them out of the very places that God himself has brought us out of. So why we need to learn how to fight? Uh, the easy answer is because God designed it that way, and therefore we need to learn how to fight. And can I tell you something really interesting? In my 20 
five years of walking with the Lord, um, a lot of people, when you talk about the armor and it's always compared to a Roman uh, soldier or a centurion, is a lot of women don't feel like they can connect because that's not the world they live in. You know what I've learned, though, is in my 25 years that... um, most of the, the people who understand spiritual warfare and fight in it, more are women than men. Men, that's a problem. We may connect with the imagery, but it can't stop there. It's got to become something real in our lives. And I'm not condemning all men. I'm just saying that's my experience. So women, keep up the good work and engage. Men, Still keep doing what you're doing, but consider that there's much, much more for us to be involved in. And so I just want to start there. And so the other question that I, I often, you know, come up against is that, you know, can we avoid spiritual warfare and just, you know, have somebody fight on our behalf? Um, that's a piece of the body of Christ. But the thing that I found is people who avoid spiritual warfare, you don't actually avoid the battle. You're just on the losing end of it. Isn't it time for you guys, all of us, to be on the winning side? All right, good. Is the devil afraid of you? That's the answer. He should be. And that's what we're going to get to. That's one of the things I believe the Holy Spirit birthed in my heart. He's like, they ask this question to people, and you you don't owe me an out loud answer, but is the devil afraid of you? Because he should be, because Christ, if you're a believer or a follower of Jesus, and that's an ever-going process, but it's a growing process, is the more that we grow and we're transformed into the likeness of God, then the more power and authority that gets you know, transferred into us and through us, and the enemy you know, actually um, shakes and quivers at the presence of God because he's already been defeated. That's good news to me, at least. We know this in, in, uh, in Ephesians 6. This is going to be one of our... Our, our uh, kind of our uh, foundational scriptures for this whole study, and eventually we will get into the specifics of the armor. But Ephesians six, uh, chapter verse six, uh, verse chapter six, verse ten says, "Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power." Verse eleven says, "Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes." For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I'll read that again. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Good time for a water break right there. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on the full armor of God. Take your stand. That's what we're going to be really focusing this series on is how do you take this stand? Not in your own power, but how do you allow yourself to be in this mighty power of the Lord and be strong in it? It's important in this study and in this first message, I'm going to leave you hopefully with a lot more questions than answers. That'll keep you coming back for more. But it's important to understand what the weapons that Satan has in his arsenal. Are they defined? They are. 
We need to understand what those weapons are in detail because without the understanding of the actual weapons that the, that the uh, enemy wields uh, into the, the world and into our lives, then this incredible armor that God has, has given us is, is not as effective as it was meant to be. And I'll tell you something, I'm going to get a little ahead of myself, not in today, but in the series, but the armor of God was not meant for defense. It is a defensive thing in some areas, but it was not meant for defense. It was meant for offense. And so all of us need to understand that it's, it isn't, we were never called to sit on the bench. James chapter 4, James, the brother of Jesus, you know, kind of just tells it like he is. He says in verse 4, chapter 4, you adulterous people. And, and he's not talking about adultery in the simple sense of, you know, cheating on your wife. Uh, that's not what he said. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chose to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit as he caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. And that is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Sounds too easy to be true. It actually is that easy. But there's a lot of facets to that, resisting, resisting to the devil and seeing him flee. And so, again, that's my hopes that this series is going to unravel that and it's going to become real traction in our lives. I was having a discussion with a brother uh, on the phone, which we don't get to talk as much as we'd like. But in that discussion, catching up on a few things, um, there was an excitement in his voice and he encouraged me by saying, I'm super excited about this new series. What an incredible timing God has orchestrated for us to learn these very things. And to that I said, hallelujah. Confirmation, encouragement to me, but also just the understanding that the Holy Spirit is bringing things and they are timely and they are applicable and they have, he has every intention on making them effective in our lives. People in today's, you know, even in the last week, there's chaos and there's, there's unrest and there's all kinds of things. I've never seen that. It's unheard of. And sometimes we, we, we just seem surprised. And, you know, I can tell you that the Lord's never surprised. He isn't, right? And, and even though we may still walk and we will be surprised by some things, I think the level of our surprise should be getting less and less. The more we get to know him, the more we get to know the word, we understand um, that this, this, maybe this spiritual warfare is something that's lacking in the church. Um, I think that it shouldn't be a surprise, but we find ourselves so frustrated because it is contrary to kingdom culture that we just, we want to do something about it. And I just want to encourage, and you know, it's a challenge, but it's an encouragement that this series is going to teach us how to really fight because we're just fighting with words right now. I've seen it all over Facebook. We're, we're bantering with each other in the body of Christ, even taking sides, like, the enemy is winning when we let him do that. 
Therefore, in those moments, especially in the heated moments emotionally, and believe me, I'm in those heated moments too, there's better choices than allowing the words to flow out of our mouth or on the keyboard, whatever you want to call it, and letting it start attacking people. We're attacking people. We just read that the the battle isn't against people, flesh and blood. It's against principalities and power. Yeah, are these people affected by it? Probably, almost guaranteed. But then we need to learn how to fight even more so because we're not doing anybody any good by just flinging words out there. Proverbs 18 says, "From, from the fruit of the mouth, from the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled, and with the harvest of the lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I have made choices, bad and good, but my choice and the one that I want to make that I confess to you, because we are the body and you are a part of helping me be strong in that and me to you, is that our words would be carefully measured against the character and the love of God. When we fight battles with words, we're causing destruction to God's own creation, and we're on the wrong side. So it's important that we do series like this to equip the followers of Christ, to equip the church. It's one of, spiritual warfare is one of the most important areas, although it's not all-inclusive, it's not the only area, but it's truly one of the most important areas of equipping that we as followers of Christ need to be growing in, um, hopefully each and every day of our lives. And learning and understanding that is important is good, but sometimes we can get overboard in it too, and that's why I say it's not the only thing. But if we don't come familiar with our adversary, his weapons, how he yields them, how he wields them, and how he operates, then we can easily become swept up in his plan and think we're in the right place. But if we understand the realm at which he operates and the truth and what God has told us in his word, and that becomes a reality in our walk and in our faith life, then we are a part of foiling the attacks of the enemy against us and for the others that we know and love in the lost. Paul tells the Corinthians regarding the mode of operation and, and the fact that the enemy isn't as sneaky as he thinks he is in 2 Corinthians 2. And he's talking in the context of forgiveness and how important it is, but he says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware, and in some versions it says ignorant, For we are not ignorant of his schemes. And that's one of the things God wants to teach us in this series is what the scheming um, things of the enemy are. And they are clearly defined, and we will get into them, not today, because we have some some work to do up front. So I want to just emphasize that spiritual warfare is important, but it's not the only thing. Why do I say that? Because I've been in seasons of the church where... We get into overemphasizing as if spiritual warfare is the only thing that matters in our relationship with God. No, there's a lot of things that matter, like loving him and loving people and worshiping him and sacrificially giving and praying and all kinds of things. But warfare is seemed into a lot of those things, but warfare is its own thing. And it's a very powerful thing when we do it in the power of God and not in our own power. The tricks of the enemy are are tricky. They are deceitful. And you and I standing on our own, 
we can't even hold a candle to the devil. That is a fact. When we get oversensitive about spiritual warfare and we think it's the only thing, then you've probably all been around it before as we find ourselves or maybe people we know um, trying to cast out devils under every rock that something's not in agreement with what they want. In Jesus' name, we cast you out. We cast you out. Can I tell you that firsthand oppression or involvement of the enemy in people's lives is real, but it's not the biggest part of spiritual warfare. Something else that's bigger. And so when we blame everything on the firsthand influence and power and activity of, the, of the, the enemy, and it's wrong, we're actually almost praising him. We're giving him more power than he's worth, the recognition he's worth. He isn't worth even that kind of attention in our lives. And we have to be purposeful about understanding and letting the Spirit speak to us so that in our understanding, we are responding the way God created you and I to be. But spiritual warfare is a normal part of our faith, and it is real. Mark chapter 16, Jesus is talking, and he says, These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. Hallelujah. They will. Okay, so it's not like, hey, if you want to, you can. This is a commandment. This is a, this is a charge. This is about sons and daughters of the living God. This is who we are, and this is a part, a normal part of what we're supposed to be doing. So when we find out it is the firsthand work of the enemy, and it is attached and be oppressing a person's life or people's lives, we are to cast them out. Yay. It says, they will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. Well, that sounds like we could use some of that right now. And they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Wow, this is some good fruit right here. I, I mean, I got to be honest. I see it, but I know I ain't seeing it like the Holy Spirit wants it to be seen right now. Amen. 2 Corinthians 10 says, though, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And then it says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Here's the bigger part of spiritual warfare. The biggest battleground for you and I, the believer and in, in the lost too, is the mind, our mindsets, our thoughts. This is the biggest battleground that we will take on in spiritual warfare aside from casting out demons, which seems much more magnanimous and you know, crazy. Well, sometimes, but it's not supposed to be that way. It's just supposed to be in the authority of Christ, be gone, out. This is part of our Christian responsibility toward the lost, the oppressed, and the demonized. So I'll put this in a different world. Jesus 
expects you and I to be actively a part of these types of ministries for the benefit of those that are being like just abused and and killed and destroyed in their lives. And so if we have that mentality of the sit back and just, you know, worship God and let the, you know, Jesus do his thing, and he does do that sometimes, don't get me wrong, but he has designed us to be in battle for other people. And so, uh, you know, you can get afraid about that, but you don't have to be afraid. And I believe some of this, what the Holy Spirit wants to do starting today is to rip the fear because you don't understand and start bringing the understanding so that we understand we're fully equipped. I remember the story. I, was, uh, I used to teach, I used to lead a revival prayer meeting on Saturday nights. Oh, goodness, Don, how long ago was that? 20 years ago, 22 maybe? We would meet on Saturday nights almost uh, without fail every Saturday night. A couple nights, we didn't go home. We were here all the way Saturday night, and we were here when church started. Um, and we would pray for revival. We're, we're praying, God, we want to be uh, in the midst of what you want to do. Teach us about revival. And I remember we had a small group that night. We were sitting in a circle, and we were worshiping, and then we started to pray out. And, you know, and I was a pretty new believer. Um, Don was really mature, and he used to laugh at me a lot when I was leading that. That was funny. Um, and so we were praying for people. And so I just remember this little crew of two or three people bouncing around each person and just, you know, God, bless this person and, you know, allow them to understand your heart for what you want to do on this earth. And I remember we got to this one person and I, I, I put my hands on them and from behind and I started praying. And, and all of a sudden I started hearing some pretty disturbing moans and groans that were not the Holy Spirit. There was a demonic presence in this person. I'm probably two years in the Lord. I have not been taught well yet about spiritual warfare. I've already been a part of a botched deliverance months before that. And maybe I'll tell you that story along this, uh, the uh, series. But I hear the familiar sounds of the enemy trying to manifest and cause disruption and just make a lot of noise because sometimes that's all he can do, but sometimes that's enough for us. Not, not anymore, but that's true. Well, I want to be honest with you. Um, this is what I began to do when I realized that. Peace, Lord, peace, 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 peace. God, bring you peace, bring you peace, bring you peace. You know what was really behind my prayer? Enemy, could you just go away? Because I don't know what to do. I've already been a part of something that I messed up. And so I'm just asking you to be quiet and somebody else can deal with this. Now, that's not really what I was praying, but that's the way I was praying because I was ill-equipped. I didn't understand. I didn't even know how to start. And so this series isn't about deliverance and teaching you how to cast out demons, although we do have a ministry here that you can get involved and learn about that. And hopefully the Holy Spirit through the word teaches you that it's not about some procedure. It's just about standing in the presence and the authority of God. But that was me back then. Oh, God, can you just make this go away, please? But see, what wasn't ingrained in my heart enough back then is that this person was a spiritual hostage. See, I didn't, it wasn't, I didn't have that appreciation yet. I do now, more so than back then, and there's still more to come. 
But this, this, this idea that this person was being held spiritually hostage. And there are multi, multitudes of, of people in the world that you and I are interacting with sometimes each and every day or weekly that are being held hostage by the devil in their minds. Sadly, the church, people in the church, are even part of those multitudes. But it doesn't have to be that way. 1 John chapter 3, John's encouraging um, the, the church and he says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right and righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. I'm going to read that that verse again. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Aren't you glad? Now, we know it was was also to reconcile us to the Father, but it's all incorporated in destroying the works of the enemy, the devil. I don't know about you, but I am sick and tired of seeing my friends and family, even sometimes myself, be stricken by the works of the devil. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fed up. The word destroy in this verse is actually taken from a small little word in the Greek that's called luo, and it's spelled just like it said, L-U-O. And what that word luo in destroying the devil's work, it refers to is the act of untying or unloosing something. Actually, it's the exact picture of, of the word that you'd use to untying your shoes. And it's the same word that's also used in Luke chapter 3, And and in Luke chapter 3, John answered them all. This is John the Baptist. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps or the laces of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Therefore, we can come to a conclusion that Jesus has come into the world to untie and unloose Satan's binding powers. Yeah, the cross unraveled Satan's power. You see, that was, a, that was a process in the spiritual sense. And we sometimes can just simply say, yay, thank you for the cross and that you resurrected. But the, what was going on behind the scenes is really important is that that, that cross in the scriptures we just read is that, that Jesus, by his obedient act of dying and then the father resurrecting him, unraveled completely Satan's power for yours and my redemption. Woo, good news, come on. People are like, yeah, I've heard this many more times. Well, it ain't taking hold because you should be excited. And our liberty that day, in that event, the three-day event, our liberty was fully purchased. Liberty. Not to do what you want, but to be who you were made to be. Even more, Peter, in his, in his dialogue with Cornelius, if you remember in Acts chapter 10, when God speaks to Peter and with the sheep and the animals, and he's setting up this meeting between Peter, who's kind of stuck on him just ministering to the Jews, and then there's this man, Cornelius, who has been devout to God as a Gentile, and God speaks to him and says, I'm going to send you somebody, and God puts up the meeting together, and in that meeting, Peter says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth 
with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Is God with you? Yeah, we know that to be true, right? But what's even more important and powerful than you knowing it is you making yourself aware so that the Holy Spirit has the, uh, the ammunition and the, the, the agreement with the word of God to actually do supernatural things in your spirit which flow outside of you. See, up here is just not enough. I know tons of people in the world if we took a survey, how many people believe in God? We would be all floored and fall over by like super high percentages. There's a big difference between the I believe button and following after Jesus. A big difference. Because God was with him. One of Jesus' primary concerns in setting people free is setting people free from Satan's power and hold. And it should be ours as well. But in order to free people from demonic oppression, we must learn how to recognize how the enemy works, how to overcome his attacks against the mind, because the mind is the primary area that he seeks to attack. And his goal is to plant a stronghold of deception in areas of individuals' minds or even in mindsets at bigger levels or bigger entities like countries and areas, churches, to plant a stronghold of deception in the area of the mind. And if he's successful, then he will begin to control and manipulate that person or people from the lofty position that we gave him. He that we gave him. So as we learn, understand and engage with spiritual warfare, We need to be in the word. The word is an integral part of how God is going to train us, teach us, and release us into spiritual warfare, effective spiritual warfare. The word with the guidance of the Holy Spirit will balance our walk because, again, spiritual warfare isn't the only thing. One thing that he definitely will help us with is discerning where the problem is. If there's one thing I've seen as people start to navigate spiritual warfare is they're going after what they believe is the biggest thing, and that is the firsthand oppressive link into someone's life. And can I tell you that 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 is a real thing, but that is not the primary thing that is often the problem. More than just dealing with the devil firsthand, we must realize that this warfare is going to involve taking control of our minds and crucifying the flesh. Both are just as vital as the firsthand involvement of the enemy himself because he is not God. He cannot be in all places at one time. He doesn't even have an army big enough to cover everybody on the earth. He has limitations that will always be limitations. You know what his biggest limitation is? Jesus. There's the church answer. Yeah, Jesus. No, you know what his biggest limitation is? He already lost. He just doesn't want you and I to figure it out. And I mean, figure it out by the way we live our lives. 
Here's a truth statement for you. The devil's attacks against us wouldn't work if our flesh didn't cooperate. Colossians chapter 3. I want to read a section of uh, verse 1 through maybe about, I don't know, 6, 7, 8, 9, or 10. Colossians, Paul's telling the church of Colossae that, you know, that we need to live and be made alive in Christ. And he says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now he's talking to followers of of Jesus, not just I believe. He's talking about followers where there has been an invitation for Christ to come in and be Lord and Savior of your life. And therefore the Holy Spirit has set up residence in this spiritual heart. And so it says, for you died when you did that, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, just being really repetitive because we need that, I do, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he gives some examples, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And then he even emphasized it again. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. Slander and filthy language from your lips, anger, rage, malice, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with his practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Paul in Romans says in Romans 6, 2, he says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? See, we're supposed to be dead to sin. We are dead to sin, so we need to live dead to sin. We are commanded to do so. I'm not saying, look, if you, get a, you, you trip up or you get a hiccup, you're like, you got to start from scratch. No, that's not the truth because that's what the enemy would like to speak to. It's like, oh, back to the drawing board. And we listen to that voice and we condemn ourselves or we let the enemy condemn us. Sometimes we even condemn each other. Ah, wrong. We are to live dead to sin. Dead men are incapable of responding to anything. Thus, we see the power of a crucified life. Crucial part of spiritual warfare is that every day of my life, I embrace Jesus so that I can live in the power of being crucified like him. That is a, that's a key. I know it just sounds like words maybe to some. Focus, dwell, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you about what that looks like. Not so that you can measure up to it, so that it can become a reality in your spiritual heart. Sometimes I see in spiritual warfare is, you know, people think it's better and more effective if you just scream really loud at Satan. We've probably all seen a measure of that. Like, now listen, if you're like really fed up and passionate, like just scream all you want. But if you think the screaming part 
is going to make a bigger difference in the enemy's life, we're, off, we're on the wrong track. I've seen some of the most powerful spiritual warriors as these quiet, meek individuals. Daisy Sheffer. Wow. Spiritual warfare. Unbelievable. I mean, she did raise her voice once in a while at the enemy, but no, no. Usually all she had to do was, mm, she knew who she was in Christ. She knew what the promise is. She knew what the authority was, and she just walked it out. And if you knew Daisy, you were impacted by her life, guaranteed. So a person can scream at the devil all day long, but if we willingly permit some area of our mind to go unchecked or unguarded, or if the enemy's aware of an area of sin and we haven't been willing to deal with it, then he has an open door and has the legal right to come in and attack you and me. Hmm. And in those cases, all the prayers against the devil will be of no avail or little avail because the real enemy is not the devil. Rather, it's our own carnal mind and flesh that we have not crucified or lined up with the truth and who the, who the Lord is and who we are in him. And we must submit to the control of the Holy Spirit so that we can eradicate these attacks, not just in ourselves, but for our friends and families. The real battle with Satan was won completely at the cross and resurrection. So I want to leave you with just a simple piece of scripture, but this is the thing that I've been leading up to, and I've been hopefully stirring a lot of questions. Are we going to talk about that? What about this? And I'm pretty sure we'll get to all of those, just not today. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the... Who's in the world? Well, Satan's the god of this world, right? He's the, he's the one that's been given authority and dominion on this world. But guess what? You've been given something greater. You've been given the authority and the victory of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. And that authority and that victory like trumps the, the dominion of the enemy on this earth every time. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. If we don't start there, then our conclusions are going to be utterly ridiculous and ineffective. And we'll start screaming louder, thinking that the enemy is going to back off. I know when I used to work in a bar and I was a bouncer, man, you just get loud enough and stick your chest out enough and 90% of battles were won that way. Colossians chapter 2, this is where we're going to end. I'm going to start at verse 13. I want to break a couple words out for you, and I want to get you excited and leave you before you go. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now here's verse 15. This is the best part. And having disarmed, and in some versions, earlier versions, it says spoiled, 
I want to use a spoiled word. And having spoiled the powers and the authorities or principalities, he made a public spectacle. In the old version, it says a shoe, S-H-E-W, of them openly, triumphing over them by the cross. I want to look at verse 15. I want to break a couple words out for you. So it says, and having spoiled the powers. The word for spoiled in the Greek is a really crazy big word. It's apekadusamen. Yeah, don't, don't ask me to say that again because I'm not even sure I said it right there. But it's a Greek word. And the Greek word in that, when it says spoiled, is the act of stripping one's garments off until they are completely naked. Now, before any of you go crazy, we're talking about the enemy. But that word that he having spoiled the powers and authorities. So having stripping the enemy, the the powers and the authorities, having stripping everything that they have on them off to the point where they no longer have anything. Okay, yeah, that was pretty good in itself. But wait, it gets better. And then it says that he made a public shoe of them. Now that word shoe, our our versions say spectacle, right? And that word in the Greek is uh, degmatizdo. It means to display or expose something. And the Greeks used it a lot when someone would go to war and they would win and they would bring back and they would put on display and chains and, you know, all kinds of beatings, their captives, the weapons, the trophies, the plunder. They would parade them down to the, to the, to the people of the kingdom because they're like, look what our king orchestrated in the victory of battle. And he ushered them right past people. And the people who were in chains and walking, they were humiliated. Yeah, wouldn't you be? He's talking about the the enemy, the enemy's army. This one act or or the combination of the act of the cross and and the resurrection has won, spoiled, stripped down to bear nothing, the powers and authorities, and he made a public spectacle and paraded them into the heavenlies and said, look at what God the Almighty has done and can do at any time he desires. And it says he did that openly, triumphing over them by the cross. That word openly in the Greek is parisha, and that is used throughout the New Testament a lot, and it means boldness and confidence. And so Jesus boldly spoiled, stripped away, bare naked the powers and the authority of the enemy by the cross and the resurrection, and he paraded them down the heavens. And if you're aware of who Jesus is, he paraded us in front of us each and every day of our lives. And he did that openly, boldly, confidently, and loudly in a triumphant sense. This was a party. This was a celebration. This wasn't one of those things he just had to do to get us on. No, this was a big deal. The heavens were going nuts. We should be going nuts. I feel like I'm going nuts. And so I just want to leave you with this thing I just jotted in my notes. Take heart, friends. First of all, Jesus said to take heart, that he had overcome the world. Take heart, because Jesus has truly done it all. So let's, us, you and I, let's live and fight from the place of the victory 
of the cross and the resurrection, not in a wishy-washy hope. Can I have the ministry teams come down? Father, I pray for us as a body that although this is just the beginning of what you're about to do through this series, God, we're excited because even in this one place, what an amazing picture to, to see and to behold. And it's not a symbol, it's real. You did it. You did all those things and you paraded the enemy. And yet we somehow still get convinced and trapped in our mind that somehow we're waiting for something else. God, begin to move our mindsets to line us up with the truth and what you did, who you are and who we are. So that God, not just that we may walk in a place from victory, but our lives and our ministry operate from that place so that the enemy is paraded each and every day in front of the heavenlies and in front of the the kingdom of the king. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day. See you guys next week. Wow. I hope this message encouraged and challenged you and provoked some healthy conversations with the Lord in your heart about spiritual warfare. Hey, Don't wait until next week to get plugged in to pursue the Lord. There's six days between Sundays. And so press in today. He's coming after and he's seeking you. We love you guys. Enjoy your week.